Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time, 21-year breast cancer survivor. I'm also a professional speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And hi, I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 23-year survivor. I'm also a certified life coach and the author of my upcoming book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. We're the co-founders of Breast Friends, and we're so excited to um discuss this topic today. Uh, Today we're going to talk about palliative care with our guest, Dr. Kristen Dillon. Welcome, Dr. Dillon. Hi, thank you, Sharon. Hi, thank you, Becky and listeners. I'm so excited to be on the show. Well, we're happy to have you. (laughs) Absolutely. So what I'd love for you to do is introduce yourself to our audience and kind of tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So um, as I said, my name is Kristen Dillon. I'm a clinical psychologist. I specialize um, in geropsychology and hospice and palliative care. I work at the Edith North Rogers Memorial Veterans Hospital in Bedford, Massachusetts, so I'm all the way across the country. Um, I completed my residency here in 2013 in geropsychology, so specializing with older adults, uh, and was really fortunate enough to be hired on in hospice and palliative care as a psychologist. Um, So currently I work in our long-term care facilities, providing support and education around palliative care to our residents and their families. That's wonderful. That's such an important service that you're offering. So let's let's kind of clarify what really palliative care is versus hospice. Sure. So uh, palliative care is is specialized care for people with serious illness. Um, It's really focused more on the care rather than the cure. It's a philosophy of care. It's based on care, comfort, and symptom management. And the overall goal of palliative care is to improve quality of life for the patient and family. And what we always have in mind is, you know, quality of life for the mind, the body, and the spirit. Um, it's, it's an approach that allows people to have more control over their treatment and understand the choices that they're making. Um, and so that's kind of palliative care in a nutshell. And what the main difference between palliative care and hospice is, is hospice is really reserved for people who have six months or less, less to live, left to live, excuse me. Um, whereas palliative care is for people at any stage of their illness. Right. So, so, and I so think it's that's a huge, you know, difference, a huge um, thing we need to make sure people understand that they can still use palliative care um, options without having to be looking at end of life issues. Absolutely. And you can use palliative care at any time. It also can be combined with curative treatments. Um, as I said, it's really aimed to increase the quality of life. And so that can be used at any point in, in stage in the illness. Right. Yeah, and that that was going to be my question too. I just when as you were saying that, so it's not like hospice care is kind of what sort of steps in when they've kind of given up the treatment stuff, and it kind of comes down to comfort. But palliative care is like you said, and done in conjunction with just to you know 
build up whatever they need to build up to maybe even have a better outcome with the treatments too, I would guess. (laughs) So Well, and like you said, the quality of life, Mm -hmm. and I think that sometimes gets forgotten, you know, when when you're in deep uh, cancer treatment and, you know, I mean, I I know there's the kind of the old adage, if the treatment doesn't kill you, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, so it allows um, uh, our our healthcare professionals to really help us out with the quality of life things that come along. Maybe while you're in treatment, while you're doing chemo, while you're doing radiation, and is that right? Is that what I'm understanding? Absolutely. It, it you can do it at any time and with curative treatments. And really, it's a partnership between your providers, uh, the family, the patient. And, um, and something that I think also people don't know is that it's, palliative care is an additional layer of support. You're still receiving your treatments from your oncologist. You're still meeting with your primary care provider. The palliative care team serves as just an adjunct layer. We're there to support the veteran, or excuse me, I'm, I'm used to saying the veteran, um, but the patient and family in kind of coming to these making health care decisions, um, you know, supporting them along the way through their treatment choices, providing a lot of education and support. Absolutely. And so what, when you bring up veteran, it, it basically doesn't, we focus on cancer primarily on this show, mm-hmm. but the reality is it really can be used, you know, in any kind of health situation. Is that what I'm understanding? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We have people enrolled in palliative care with a, a variety of cancer diagnoses, but also, you know, um, congestive heart failure, dementia, um, a whole multitude of uh, wow. terminal illnesses. And what so, does palliative me, mean? Oh, sorry, Becky, go ahead. I just want—I just wanted to ask a quick question. So, you—you you work within a VA facility in Massachusetts, correct? Yes. Okay. And so, what? It, I'm just curious about what your specific role is. Are you leading the team? Or are you actually one of the providers that's providing a, a certain level of care? Sure. I um, am not leading the team. It really is a a combined effort. I'm the psychologist within the team. um, And our team, it consists of a multitude of disciplines. So we have uh, more of physician uh, social workers who are specifically trained in palliative care. Um, We have uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, dietitians, chaplaincy, spiritual support is also a big part of palliative care. Um, okay. And I'm sure I'm leaving a, a number of people out, including our nurses, who are probably <laughs> play one of the most important roles in palliative care. And so I'm just part of the team, and we do a lot of uh, consultation with other providers, with other disciplines, with families, and with our patients. That's wonderful. Well, good. I just wanted to kind of clarify that in my own head because I like to sort out the pieces. You know? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, so. and and again, as our as our parents get older, you know, this is really an important piece of that puzzle. Or as we get older, you know, to know that there are other services that can that are really concentrating on quality of life um, as we you know go through these transitional times in our lives. So it makes it makes perfect sense. And I'm so glad we are starting to offer these services around the country. So, so the word palliative, is there a specific meaning around that? or Sure. Well, to palliate means to sedate and, so, and suppress. And so what we're really trying to do is manage the symptoms 
to make people comfortable and have some quality of life. I'm going to say quality of life a lot. It's okay, and I'm glad. Yeah, we need to, we need to harp on that one. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but that's really what it is. It's really about care and comfort, and we want to make people as comfort comfortable as possible. So the first thing that think I think of um, that would make me very uncomfortable is pain. So I'm yeah. assuming that palliative care uh, really focuses a lot on pain management. It does. It, it does focus a lot on pain management. And as I mentioned previously, too, the team works in addition to your providers. And so it's a lot of consultation with the palliative care team to decide, to determine what is available to better support the pain, um, both pharmacologically and non-pharmacologically. And so, you know, for instance, we've had people in the past um, who have had a lung cancer diagnosis and that had tumors that caused a lot of discomfort. And so, you know, palliative radiation and chemotherapy was available to these people um, and they were able to go get these types of treatments, um, even though they weren't curative at that point, in order to feel more comfortable um, and engage in things that they wanted to do that they were not able to do because of the pain. So, um, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah and really great. we aim to treat the person as a whole. Um, and mm-hmm. so it is the medical piece, but it's also any psychological or emotional distress, spiritual concerns, and of course social issues as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you do have, in, in our case, we deal with women who, whose right. breast cancer or other types of cancer is metastasized to another part of their body. And, you know, a lot of times that's the bone. And I know I've heard of many times they're getting radiation um, to relieve that um, discomfort. And so that's kind of what you're talking about in that situation. Absolutely. Yes. It's okay. not necessarily okay. treating the cancer, but treating the symptoms associated with the cancer. Okay, that makes sense. So um, what else does it focus on besides pain? Sure. So as I mentioned, you know, it also focuses on the whole person and the family as well. So we do offer spiritual support. We have chaplains available, um, and that can be... They can be used to assist people with that are either participating in organized religion or not. Um, they can be there to pray with them, to discuss their spiritual concerns, or have existential discussions. Um, and, of course, spirituality means something different for everyone. So, for Absolutely. instance, someone might feel the most spiritual when they're in nature. And so what we're working to do then is to help mitigate their symptoms so that they can spend more time in nature, so that they can get outside, they can go for a hike, and um, Mm -hmm. it will help them to manage the pain or whatever other discomfort they have so they can do that. That's That's marvelous. So who's the appropriate candidate for palliative care then, what would you say? Uh, Really anyone. Anyone can enroll in palliative care that has a serious illness, and it can be at any stage of that illness. And so how people do enroll is really they talk to their providers and um, typically there's a palliative care team available and they can consult with them and discuss what kind of options they have. Great. So if a, if a person wants to enroll in palliative care and their medical team doesn't, they don't provide that service through their own provider, is there, an, is there another way to go about getting it? 
I think in that situation, your best bet is to talk to your providers and see if they don't okay. have the team there locally, where would a team be available? Um, okay. If it's not at one hospital, potentially, maybe it could be at another. Okay. Or, and it doesn't just have to be at a hospital. I mean, it can be provided, palliative care can be provided in the home, in long-term care facilities, which, as I mentioned, is what I do, um, in the hospital setting, and in a multitude of settings. Yeah, you know where I where I go for my um, follow up appointments um, is a company here in Oregon called Compass Oncology, and that is one of the services that they provide. They have um, their palliative care team, which is you know I've never actually utilized it, but it's really nice to know when you need that service that it is available. So, you know, it is something that's probably worthwhile to ask your doctor if it's even something that they have access to. Even if you don't need it right now, you might need it down the road. So, um, so yeah. So, what are some of the reasons that people might want to enroll in that if they hadn't really thought about it? Sure. Can you kind so, of give us some. Absolutely. Um, so, people can enroll. Um, you know, if they're experiencing increased pain, nausea, you know, shortness of breath, sleep issues, depression. I mean, and those are just a few of the symptoms, um, and mm-hmm. just uh, they feel that they could be better managed in some way. Um, okay. As I said, they can do so while seeking curative treatments, um, or for others, they decide that uh, curative treatments are not an option at this point, and so they determine palliative care would be an, a better option for them as well. I didn't think about the sleep issue thing. That's my issue. (laughs) Really, have especially lately, I've had this bad cold every time I lay down and try to go to sleep. I start coughing up a lung. So, um, but sleep is something that does seem to elude a lot of people um, when they're going through something difficult. You know, because the worry and the stress, and and then of course no sleep then adds to other issues. So I'd never thought about it just from that even that kind of a perspective. So talk about. This the struggle. I mean, I'm going to guess because you know before we, we before we really learned about palliative care and what it meant, kind of like what we talked about earlier. I think a lot of people relate it to hospice and they think, well, this is just me giving up. And there's yeah. there, there's got to be a struggle with that decision. So, can you speak to that struggle and you know and then how do people kind of just come to terms with that? Absolutely, I think that is one of the main. Uh, concerns people have around palliative care is that they are concerned that it feels like they're giving up or their family feels like they're giving up. And uh, really, it's that's not the case. Um, you know, we've had many people who have struggled with this decision, um, mostly because they just didn't fully understand what palliative care was and really did associate it with end of life, associate it with hospice, um, or their families may have felt this way. And so... What we really do in those situations is we really try and provide a lot of guidance and education. Of course, we never want to push someone to do anything against their will, but we just want them to be informed consumers and have the correct information in mm-hmm. order to make the best decision for them. Yeah, that it's makes really, sense. And yeah, yeah it, it really does. And when you think about you know recovering from a serious illness, the more you can strengthen the other parts of your body, mind, spirit, all of those things. So everything's kind of working together for the good. Um, It's going to, it just feels like it would kind of help everything else, all the physical parts of it too, and the treatments, that everything would just kind of fall in line. I don't know. It just seems like like that would be the case. 
Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned you're having sleep issues. And so if that's Uh something that, you know, the palliative care team, in addition to your providers, was trying to address, if you're getting better sleep, you're going to be stronger. You're going to have go through your treatments and, and feel better through them than if you're sleep deprived. Of course we know. Right. Right. Yeah. Really we do opened a my lot eyes of, on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we do so much healing while we're sleeping. Right. I mean, that's yeah. how our body repairs itself. Right. Um, and it can be incredibly difficult to sleep when you're so incredibly stressed out and dealing with, you know, a cancer diagnosis or going through palliative, or excuse me, going through radiation or chemo. You have so much on right. your mind that sleep is very evasive. That is true. And you good know, old menopause, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we only have about a minute and a half or so before we um, need to go out to break. So I want to ask you the insurance question. I, I, is this covered now by insurance? I would say your best bet is to check with your insurance. And if you do have further questions about that, consult with a social worker um, on the palliative care team or your a social worker that is associated with your primary provider. That's because you work with, with the VA group, and so that's kind of a different um, category. I yes. do know that here in Oregon, and I'm not sure how widespread it is, but we do have a company here, Regents Blue Cross, and I know that they have a very comprehensive palliative care um, plan. So yeah, I would I would agree with that. Just check with your insurance and and find out. So yeah. we are actually going to go out to break. Um, so we would really love to have our listeners just stay tuned, and we'll be back in a minute. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a car that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. 
may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about palliative care with our, our guest, Dr. Kristen Dillon. So, Kristen, let's uh, get right back into talking about the palliative team, palliative care team. And you mentioned, you know, who kind of those members are, but maybe we can elaborate a little bit on that. Sure. Yeah. As I mentioned, we have a variety of disciplines um, engaged in the palliative care team. And I spoke a little bit about chaplaincy and some of the spiritual support and also some of the medical issues. Um, But we also um, engage in a lot of family support. Um, So we're not only treating the person uh, on the palliative care team, the patient, but we're treating the family as well. And um, so we recognize that serious illness is not only stressful for the patient, but it's stressful for the the family as well. And we're available to support them in whatever capacity they need. Um, So we provide them with a lot of education. We facilitate difficult conversations. Or sometimes we just offer them a hug on a really tough day. Um, That makes my heart happy. We love hugs. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We're all about that here. (laughs) Well, and and it's amazing that physical touch. I mean, you know, we laugh about hugs and everything, but that physical touch is very important. And especially if someone is ill, um, you know, just that really gentle hug or touching of their hand or arm or something like that is really very, I don't know, it's, it's, I think it's healing in itself. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it very much is. And, you know, the family is just as important because the patient needs the family for support. And so we need to treat the family as well. Um, and over the years on our palliative care team, we've treated a lot of uh, patients and families. I think I mentioned that our team is within a long-term care facility. And so our residents and our families live apart. And so that's an added mm. stressor um, yeah. because, you know, some of our residents, they've been married for 60, 70 years, and this is the wow. first time that they're mm. being apart. Um, yeah. And so we really encourage our families to stay over as often as they like. Um, and in many ways, we become the surrogate family to our families and our patients. Um, well, and we really so do, do guys love have- it. Do you have, like, apartments for the people's to, for the families to come and stay in? We how, don't. How does... We don't. Um, but here at the Bedford VA, what we do have mm-hmm. is a lot of our couches and recliners pull out into beds. Oh, and nice. And so we encourage families to stay over. Um, oh, that's great. And, that's yeah, great. and we really care for our, not only our patients but our families as well. And I can even, and we really want, again, the quality of life piece and can even share that we've had two wedding receptions on our unit. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and we recently joked that our doctor needs to maybe become an ordained minister, too, if this is going to keep happening. I understand you can get a certificate right off the Internet very easily, so you might as well, right? Yeah, my yeah. son married his sister right there in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, we're, we're doing things that you might not think are typical in order to really l- allow people to live their life the fullest that they can. You know, I'm glad to hear that you're working with families so much because, you know, one of the things that we talk about here, you know, we we call it the ripple effect, you know, when the the cancer kind of hits the woman right square on and then there's that 
ripple that goes out and right in that first ring of that ripple is her family and they are just embedded in that turbulence and Absolutely. you know it's not I mean first off they're afraid mom's not going to survive but and then there's a lot of issues around what's going to happen to them and especially yeah. if you have kids and you know and teenagers in particular I think really go through some tough stuff because you know they're just processing so much and you know so I'm really glad that you guys provide some level of support can I ask you to Tell us what that kind of support might look like. Let's say you have a teenager in the house. What kind of support might a palliative care um, team person provide to them? Sure. So, um, you know, again, we offer all types of support, whether it's education, kind of um, meetings to discuss kind of what's happening, what we can expect, what will palliative care look like, what will treatments look like, and certain side effects, things like that. And really just so a lot of support and guidance. Um, you know, the spiritual support, of course. And then for me as a psychologist, you know, I offer individual counseling, couples counseling, family therapy, in addition to uh, different groups. We have caregiver groups, things like that. Um, so, I mean, we recognize having a serious illness is incredibly stressful. And when we're stressed, we don't always function at our best. So I'm helping people deal with the stress, deal with other concerns that may come up, you know, depression, anxiety, trauma, relational issues, things like that, and that's just to name a few. Um, And just as the medical doctor is there to manage the symptoms of the illness, I am too. I'm just treating a different set of symptoms. Exactly. And I mean, honestly, Breast Friends kind of does a little bit of that palliative care, too, because we definitely offer that safe place for Mm -hmm. both the patient and their family members to really talk about those tough issues. Absolutely. You know, sometimes like that teenager that Becky mentioned, you know, may not really ask his mom or dad, uh, you know, are you going to die? But that's definitely on his mind. You know, he needs to be able to have those conversations and get some you know, not sugar-coated information, but but really be able to express his emotions and his fears and all those kinds of things. So I'm happy to hear that you're doing that as well. Yeah, yeah and, and, and it's a lot easier for them to maybe come to a professional to talk and, and share those concerns yeah. rather than going to their, their mother um, because they also are very cautious about upsetting uh, their loved one at that point Absolutely. who's going through that's treatment true. things like that yeah. so they, they don't no, want to burden that's them good. that's mm-hmm. really good I know when I went through my battle the first time um, I had I, I raised five kids but my oldest two were out of the house but I still had three at home and my oldest one at home was 15 at the time and I know that it was particularly hard on her because one of her very dear friends had lost her mom to breast cancer after I think a a third or fourth time through. And so her experience was, you know, people die from this and, you know, and that's not something she was really wanting to share with me, but I know just through some later conversations that that was very much on her mind. And Mm -hmm. so having someone that she can talk to, you know, whether it's a school counselor or somebody. So I'm just so, I, I just can't tell you how, how impressed I am that you guys are, are doing that kind of service. So let, let me ask you about your female veterans. Um, you know, when they, when they come back from war or wherever they're from and they end up with a cancer diagnosis, how, how does this impact them? Because I know that most of the, 
I don't even know the percentages anymore, that there's probably still more men in the military than there are women. And so they probably have some issues that are a little bit different than Mm -hmm. some of the guys coming back. Could you speak to that just a little bit? I I can only speak to it in a limited capacity because uh, it's not something that I necessarily specialize in. But I can share that here at the Bedford VA, we do have a women's clinic that is there specifically to address any concerns that our female veterans have um, regarding a multitude of issues, including, you know, cancer diagnoses and things like that. Um, So, like I said, it's it's not something, it's kind of outside of my scope of practice, so I I can't speak much about that. Okay. I remember talking to um, one of the nurses up at the (coughs) VA here in Oregon, (coughs) excuse me, and um, she was saying that Overall, the cancer uh, diagnosis, uh, especially breast cancer, is actually higher in women um, that are in the service or are veterans than the general population. And I don't know Mm. if that's from the stress, you know, the extra stress or being at war or, you know, what exactly that is all about. But I remember that very distinctly and it it stayed with me that, yeah, there's definitely a high high percentage um, of going through some sort of a like a woman's cancer. So yeah, it it it? can be, yeah, it can be. And I I think it does partially go back to stress. I mean, that's what I, I really do believe our, our environment definitely allows our immune system to break down and, uh, you know, lets that cancer get a hold sometimes when it wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, so. it's kind of an interesting thought because when you think about, like, people in the military, they're put through such rigorous training and physical, you know, I, I'm going to call it physical torture, but I know it's not <laughs> real. You know, if you can do it, you can do it. For me, it would be total torture. Yeah. But but it's, you know, you think with all of that, that physical fitness, you know, drive that they have that that would counter any other issues, but to your point, Sharon, more have it, you know, and so the stress probably does play a role. I mean, this is us being very opinionated at the moment, right, but of course, it would of course. be you lovely know, to have I, the actual answer. Exactly. <laughs> you know? So maybe one of these days we'll actually have an expert on that particular yeah. subject, but at this or, point, yeah. you know, it's just kind of, you know, we've talked to so many women and including veterans. And, uh, and so it is kind of an interesting topic all by itself. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we're so fortunate to have specifically a a clinic just for our female veterans here. So talk to us about what you do with your with your veterans in the area of planning. I know that that we kind of mentioned that briefly, but can you give us a little more information on what you mean by planning? Sure. So, um, you know, typically we'll sit down with the the veteran and the family or the, you know, the patient and the family and talk about their medical um, concerns, any decisions that they're planning to make, you know, treatment planning. Um, We do discuss advanced directives. It's always an important conversation to have um, with anyone, so I would encourage people to have that conversation with their loved ones at any age. Um, And, of course, we recognize plans change, and we're constantly kind of monitoring and having open dialogues about this because a treatment or, you know, a choice that, somebody made at some point may not um, be what they want at at another Mm -hmm. point. And so we're very respectful of that. And that's why it's just an ongoing dialogue. Okay. You know, it just kind of, the reason I ask that is it's kind of, sometimes it's sort of the elephant in the room when you think in terms of 
having your affairs in order, you mm-hmm. know, because it's it's kind of like that that last step toward, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. I better get my will done. But you know what? The fact is that there's so much stress when you don't have that done. No matter where you are in your life, you can be perfectly healthy. But if you don't have a will or, you know, your estate plan kind of done and ready to go, it's it's always in the back of your brain. You know, what happens if I go out in my car and I'm killed in a car accident today? I haven't taken care of anything. So it's one of those really difficult conversations to have. We're actually going to have a guest in a a couple weeks um, who's going to come on our show and talk about the importance of doing that and kind of some basic steps on how to, to get it lined up. But it's to me, it's just so important because once it's done, you know, you get it done, you make arrangements for everything that you have in your life, and then it's done. And now you can just go about enjoying your life. And that's you know, and live your life and don't worry about that anymore because now it's done and you now don't have to think about it. So is that something you guys kind of tackle too or do you kind of stay away from that piece? Uh, we don't, you know, we don't tackle the legal issues because that's outside mm-hmm. of our scope of practice, but we do right. discuss kind of, you know, the advanced directives piece in that what okay. are people's wishes um, around, okay. you know, various life-saving alternatives and things like that, ventilators, things like that. And so that's a discussion, again, similarly to kind of the estate planning and with the will, that is important. I mean, you want your wishes honored. And as you said, I, I mean, we could go at any point, we, you know. All of us, exactly. It doesn't not. matter how old we are. I know. And right, it's, right. Especially, it's especially hard to talk to your adult children because they're like, no, 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 I don't want to talk yeah. about this, you know. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, I had a cool experience just last night. We had a support group out in um, one of our suburb areas uh, out in Gresham, and it was just fabulous. I talked to a lady who has metastatic disease. She was given four months to live, and she's uh, five years out so far. Sweet. Wow. So I that's love a, those you know, stories. Incredible. Love those stories, right? Number one. But number two, she took the whole getting your affairs in order to heart, and it basically has allowed her control mm-hmm. when she didn't feel like she had much control especially when yeah. she was given that horrible diagnosis and what's fabulous about it she's already she's picked out the scripture she wants at her at her service she's picked out you know the songs that she wants to have sung she's she's done her eulogy and she said she's got to redo it because she (laughs) she had something that you know anyway it's so cute and and you know last night she said you know the last thing I'm going to do is you know the house a lot of people put the pictures up you know like in the little three three folded thing that goes up I don't even know what that thing's called the folder Mm-hmm. And they put up their pictures, you know, honoring that that person. She's going to make her own. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I love it, too, yeah. because, again, when when someone we love has passed away, mm-hmm. even if we know it's going to happen, you know, because they've been sick a while, um, it's still very, very difficult to oh, absolutely. Put, put yourself in that position and feel like you're obligated to do X, Y, Z for, you know, your, your mom or your father's, um, uh, uh, service. And I thought, you know what, what a gift that is for her daughter who lives like 
actually she lives I think in in your state and and this lady lives in Oregon and so what a gift for her to actually give her daughter um, when the time does come yeah Definitely. you know and, and there's I think you know being oh, a health, oh I'm so sorry um, being a healthcare proxy or you know an executor on a will those are difficult things to do unless mm-hmm. you know exactly what the person wanted Right. And mm-hmm. and right. even with knowing, it's still difficult to put your own, you know, beliefs and values aside mm-hmm. and, and do what this person wanted because it may go against right. what you would want for yourself. Right. But the more you can, uh, you know, kind of say exactly what your wishes are, the easier time mm-hmm. your family will have. And so for this right. woman, woman, I mean, she's really giving her daughter a gift. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought so, too. I was just, I, but it, was, it, 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 it just rang true of having at least some control, too, yeah. over over your death and dying and that transition piece. And I guess I look at this palliative care kind of in that same way. It's, it's kind of a gift to yourself to manage your pain, to manage your quality of life before you ever even get to that place. Yeah. But yeah. again, we're all going to die. We're, none of us are going to get out of here alive. So having your affairs in order, I think, is a really wise thing to yeah. do. It is. You know, it's Sharon, really- when you were ta- telling the story about that, that trifold thing, it made yeah. me think of my friend in Seattle. She wanted to do something a little bit different. She had a brain tumor, and it repeated attempts to remove it. Oh. It just kept coming back. But she knew that, you know, things were, time was getting short, and she really wanted to do something completely different than anything I'd ever heard of before. She wanted to actually create some kind of a book to honor the people in her life that had meant so much to her throughout their lo- her life. And so I went up there one day with a tape recorder, a little voice recorder, and while she was in you know, a better place where she could talk and comprehend, she would tell me about all these people, and, and she would just tell why they were so special. And then her husband helped round up photos, and we ended up doing a book. Sharon helped me lay it out on I think, what did we use, Sharon? I can't remember. It's one of those online like, books. Yeah, I think it was Publisher. You yeah, know, something like that. You know, something but anyway, we, we made a book for her, and we printed 30 copies, and it was so interesting. It was almost like she was hanging on waiting for those because they arrived, they arrived on a Friday, and when she, her husband opened the box, he, she took it out and hugged, her, hugged it in her chest and just said, they're here, and she was so excited to have them, and then she passed away just a couple days later. So, wow. you know, but although she made enough books to give one to each person that she had, that we'd written about, so yeah, it was really taking it was, care of that unfinished business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was so wonderful. Yeah. I was thrilled to be a part of it as well. Yeah, it was it was hard to do, but man, it would yeah. just you know, and not to make it all gloomy and doomy, but it was just. It was just such a special thing she wanted to do, and it was—I've never heard of anyone doing it kind of the reverse. Don't don't write about me. Let me write about you, kind of thing. So yeah, that's really that's kind cool. of beautiful. And what a legacy to leave behind. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? We need to go out to break, so we're going to do that. So please just stay tuned, and we'll be back in a minute. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back to our show. We've been talking to Dr. Kristen Dillon about palliative care. So, um, Dr. Dillon, let's see, where were we? we? We talked a lot about the emotional piece of it, and I think that is so important. So, um, are there concerns for providers? I mean, like, how, how do the providers kind of refer people to palliative care? Because I can imagine that that might be sensitive for them as well. Absolutely. And, I mean, we're fortunate enough that um, all of our physicians are hospice and palliative care certified here in our long-term care facilities. Um, and so they're very knowledgeable about palliative care. And, you know, they... It is a philosophy of care, and so that, you know, there are nuances within for each provider based on their kind of own philosophy of palliative care. And so we get consulted, the palliative care team, to kind of, when they notice that maybe someone's illness is continuing to advance, um, or if there's just you know, pain or symptoms that are not being managed as well, if they feel that they need emotional support um, beyond what services are already offered or the family might need some support um, uh, coping with their loved one having this serious illness. And so really we get consultations for a variety of reasons. And, you know, I think the providers are pretty good about putting their own emotions aside in order to ask you know, to inform the patient and let them make the best decision for themselves. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, so talk good. about the certification. You just mentioned that if they're that most of them are palliative care and hospice care certified. So tell us about that. I didn't realize that there was a special certification for that. Mm-hmm. Could you speak to that, please? I, you know, I, I can um, be not being that I'm not a medical doctor, so I can't speak mm-hmm. to it much, but I know that there's board certification for physicians right. um, okay. where it's just, you know, continuing education to get uh, certified in hospice and palliative care in order to better treat okay. people who are okay. um, enrolled in that program. So you as a psychologist, do you need to get some kind of a- extra certification or is it just part of your general training that you do as a psychologist? How does that work? Um, so I specialize in gero psychology, so kind of um, which is working with older adults. And so with working with older adults comes palliative care and hospice. Um, and so, you know, I've received training on that. I've also sought out training outside of um, my graduate courses and my um, residency and internship and things like that. So... Um, there's been some great webinars out there. There's some great trainings in general for psychologists. And so I've uh, been very fortunate to be able to participate in that. Wonderful. Okay. That's great. Continuing Ed is amazing because, boy, uh, the way the whole medical um, environment has changed over the last, you know, 20-some years that I've been um, a survivor of cancer, I mean, it's crazy how much has changed. I go to conferences all the time, and and a lot of it's way over my head even yeah. so, but <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I just, the, the changes are just mind-blowing, really, how, how everything is is coming to a head, which is great. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So any other myths about palliative care you want to debunk right here? Because I know, (laughs) I know, you know, there's always those things that come up that, you know, people are wondering about. Yeah, I think, I mean, we spoke a little bit about the giving up piece, um, but I think another one is it's not only people giving up, but there's a myth that you're giving up hope. Um, and really, this is not the case. We, we always want people to hold on to hope. I mean, without hope, how do you possibly go on? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so in, in many ways, palliative care aims to increase hope because we really want people to live the life that they want free of pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, you're right. Because um, when you talk to somebody who has pretty much given up, they might as well just pack up their tent and go home, you know? Absolutely. Oh, it's terrible. So that's one of the things that Breast Friends does so well Mm -hmm. is we really do try to inspire these people and and offer them hope. Um, I just thought of a question that isn't uh, on something we've talked about, but and I don't know how Massachusetts is, but the whole cannabis thing. In Oregon, of course, we have medical marijuana and recreational marijuana uh, legalized here. is is cannabis used at all in in the palliative care uh, resources there in Massachusetts? I I really can't speak to that. Um, I work for a federal facility, so um, oh, okay, probably yeah. not then. <laughs> um, how about how about in the federal facility in Massachusetts and uh, medically also? So I'm I'm I I can assume, but I'm not entirely sure. Okay. okay. All right. I was just curious about that because obviously there's been lots of conversation about <laughs> oh, that. And, yes, I can And imagine. honestly, part of, part of that is around the myths of, of cannabis and what, you know, what's it really, it can actually be used for a lot of medical uses, including mm-hmm. pain management, sleep, 
anxiety, you know, a lot of different things that that I had no idea until just maybe a, the last year or so. So yeah. I'm learning all the time about those kinds of things as well. So, all right. So um, I, I want to chat just in case someone actually needs to go from that palliative care place to hospice, how do they make that transition? Sure. Um, so one with a lot of support. <laughs> it's not an yes. easy transition to make. Um and, and so what happens in that case is, as I mentioned earlier, hospice really is reserved for people who have, it's been determined by a physician that they have six months or less to live. Um, and so hospice really falls under the philosophy of palliative care, um, that kind of umbrella, because it is about pain and symptom management, care, dignity, and, and really ultimately the goal is to provide a good death. Um, but again, it's really that the the marker is the six months or less mm-hmm. to live. Um, okay. And so people transition. Um, again, it's it's really dependent on the provider and the kind of the clinical need and when mm-hmm. somebody transitions. And so, of course, we've we're poor prognosticians. Um, and so we've had people that have been on hospice for more than six months or graduate from hospice, which is always a wonderful experience. Um, <laughs> I know. I love that. Uh, yeah. And so what we do in those situations is we typically, you know, have a meeting with the family to discuss and with the patient, of course, to discuss that this might be the next Step um, and of course respect their wishes. Some people don't want to be enrolled in hospice, and we we respect that, um, and and continue to provide that support to them um, and their family as well um, with the education, um, counseling, spiritual support, wh- whatever they need at that juncture. It see it seems like if you have palliative care in place that um, obviously you could still be doing treatments and different things while you're doing the the palliative care. But it seems like at least the communication would be so much easier and that transition could be pretty seamless, actually. Um, Obviously, it's still a hard decision because you're kind of, you know, making that decision that, oops, my treatment isn't working. And so this is kind of that next step uh, to Mm -hmm. that progression. But at the same time, I would think with all of that wonderful emotional support and spiritual support um, and open communication with your doctors and nurses, that it, it, it could be a very seamless process, actually. I think it, in many ways it is a nice transition to go from palliative care to hospice because, like you said, you already do have that additional layer of support. So you have those people that are there to support you in making these decisions, providing you with education, making sure that this is an informed decision and really trying to meet your needs and, and your treatment goals, whatever they may be. Yeah, you know, this this opened up a question in my brain. So let's go the other way with it. So a person is receiving their treatment care, and then they're also receiving palliative care, and their treatment's going well, and now they're done with treatment. Do most people drop palliative care at that time, or do they stay on for a while? How does that work? I mean, we're now we've got a success story. You know, yeah, and, I think it. I think it really depends. I think it depends on the person um, okay. and depends on if they still feel that there's a need for palliative care involvement. Okay, okay so they can stay. It's not a 
a, rec- a prerequisite that you must be on active treatment in order to receive palliative care. It's kind no, of like me going I've, back to my doctor now for my sleep issue. <laughs> I never thought about talking <laughs> well, to him about that. I don't know that the palliative that. care team would necessarily <laughs> treat the sleep issue unless it was potentially associated with the serious illness. But I also hear right. what you're saying in that um, could they still receive palliative uh, care if uh, their treatment was a success? And I guess that depends yeah. um, if they still have a, the serious illness is still, you know, present. Um, okay. And so, okay. again, it's really... Uh, I would defer to the specific palliative care teams because I'm not entirely okay. sure how they would handle that in that situation. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, we are, we're running out of time. We've got a couple minute, minutes left. So I would love to find out if, if a listener who is you know, hearing this message really wants more information on palliative care, can you give us some resources where they should go to get that help? Absolutely. So number one resource is your doctor or your specialist or any of, you know, the nurses that you work with. Um, They will have the most information on what palliative care services are available or at least can then give you, um, get you in touch with a social worker or someone else that can provide you with more information. Okay. or the you know the National Hospice and Palliative Care um, Organization. You can reach them at www.nhpco.org. That's another okay. great resource. Um, okay. Uh, getpalliativecare.org is another great one. Um, just to d- provide more information on palliative care, they have some great fact sheets, um, things like that, in order to, for people to make the decision to enroll in palliative care and kind of, again, debunk the myths associated with palliative care. Um, mm-hmm. And then palliativedoctors.org is another resource that speaks to specific doctors that are um, trained in palliative care and uh, providers that offer palliative care. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Dillon. You've been, uh, it's been a real eye-opener, and we really appreciate you giving up an hour of your morning on a Friday to um, join us on our show, and I know that this is going to be very helpful. This show will repeat this evening at 10 p.m., and otherwise, you can go into our archives on Voice America, just search for Breast Friends, and you can pull up all of our past shows, past shows excuse me, including this one, still fighting my bug. Um, For our listeners, if you've really enjoyed this show um, and you'd like to see it continue, we would love your support. Um, We we do get sponsors from time to time on this show, but if you'd like to support the program, please consider going on to breastfriends.org. We have a great website with lots and lots of resources and information, questions to ask your doctor, just, you know, a lot of really good Um, information but at the top there's a big blue button that says donate and we would love to have you hit that button make any kind of a donation that you can and all of that will help keep this program going and we just love having all of our guests on the show so we also want to thank our people across the pond we have a lot of listeners over in Europe which is very exciting so um, if you have a topic of interest that you'd like to hear us talk about and invite a guest on our show uh, please just write to me at Becky at breastfriends.org and let us know what you're thinking would be a great topic because we're always searching for good, good, interesting guests and topics. So we are out of time. This is it. So we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. 
Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.